0: WTBN Pinellas Park. Up next is Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries.
1: We read this reputable church people who thought they were Christians all along, but they weren't. And you know what? It never crossed their minds that they might not be saved. Never dawned on them because, after all, they believed in Jesus and they did a lot of things in His name. Perhaps they taught a Sunday school class. Perhaps they were a leader in the church, an elder, a deacon, even a staff position. Perhaps they served in some church committee. And they sure thought that they were Christians. And so did everybody else except the one to whom it really matters. The only one that it really matters. And that's Christ himself.
2: One of the great tragedies, I might even say the greatest tragedy of all, is that so many people have free access to God's Word, yet they do not understand the profoundly simple plan of salvation. Rather than trusting in Christ, they trust in their activities, their attitudes, even their faith. And someday, to their horror, they will learn too late that they had misplaced their trust. I hope that after listening to today's verse by verse you will know for sure that you are eternally saved and at the same time be able to identify what teachers are the right ones to listen to. Verse by verse is a daily Bible class of the air led by Pastor Steve Kreloff of Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida. For over twenty seven years, Pastor Steve has been delivering practical expository messages to And now through the work of Verse by Verse Ministries, they come to your radio thanks to this great station. Jesus said, near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, that at the last day, people would claim to have prophesied and worked miracles in His name, even casting out demons. Yet He would tell them that He never knew them. Is it really possible for unbelievers to engage in those activities? Here is Pastor Steve to show us the answer from God's Word.
1: Well, let's, let's look at each of these activities and consider this. First of all, they, they claimed to have prophesied in his name. They said that they preached the truth as one representing Christ. Now, we know that many of these people standing before the Lord are, are false prophets, and false prophets do preach a false message, but even in a message of error, there's always some truth. There's always some truth. And so these lost folks claim that they spoke God's truth, at least in some measure, but is this possible? Can an unsaved man stand in the pulpit and give a spiritual message, even a Bible message? The answer is yes. Yes, he can. And we know this from what scripture says as, as well as the evidence of this in real life. In the Old Testament, for example, we read of Balaam, who is a pagan man, a wicked man, a man who wanted money to curse Israel. God didn't allow him to do that, but that's what he wanted. Numbers 23.5 says, and the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth. Balaam spoke, he was a wicked, pagan soothsayer, and yet God put a word in his mouth. King Saul, the first king of Israel, appears to have been an unconverted man. There is no evidence that this man was genuinely converted, and yet we're told that the spirit of prophecy came upon him. Listen, unbelievers can deliver biblical messages. They witness for Christ, and an unbeliever may and and has even led people to the Lord, even led people to the Lord. Why? Because it's the message that saves, not the messenger. There have been plenty of phony evangelists over the years who've preached the gospel only to make money. They don't care about the message. See, the mark of an individual's salvation is not the message that they preach. The mark is whether or not they practice the truth. And let me show you this from our Lord's own words. Matthew chapter 23. In this very book, in The 23rd chapter of Matthew, Jesus is denouncing in the strongest language, denouncing the scribes and the Pharisees, the religious hypocrites of his day. But at the beginning of Matthew 23, he warns his disciples and the crowds about them. Chapter 23, verse 1, then Jesus spoke to the crowds and to his disciples saying, the scribes and the Pharisees have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. The chair of Moses would be the authoritative place of of teaching the Mosaic law. In the synagogues, they, they would say, we're teaching the law of Moses. And Jesus said in verse 3, therefore, all that they tell you, do and observe. Meaning if they tell you the truth from the law of Moses, do it and observe it. It's the law. But he said, do, uh, do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. So here were these hypocrites proclaiming the truth of the Mosaic law, but not obeying it themselves. Creatures of truth and yet lost men. Jesus said, don't follow that example. That's the example of someone who's lost. Now these folks, though, as we go back to Matthew 7, these folks, though, didn't just prophesy in Christ's name. Jesus said that they will try to commend themselves to him by saying that they cast out demons and performed many miracles in his name. Now, is that really possible? Can unbelievers perform supernatural works? Once again, it may surprise you to know that the answer is yes. Yes, there are many examples in Scripture of unbelievers who were engaged in supernatural activity, miraculous activities. The prime example being Judas Iscariot. And I want to show you this, Matthew chapter 10. Judas was one of the original 12 apostles, but he was a lost man. Christ called him the son of perdition. He was lost, never saved. And in Matthew chapter 10, starting at verse 1, we read this. Jesus summoned his 12 disciples and gave them, and I'm telling you, Judas was included here. He gave them authority over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal every kind of disease and every kind of sickness. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are, we read these names, we come to verse 4, and it says, Simon the Zealot and Judas Iscariot, the one who betrayed him. Judas Iscariot was given all the power to cast out demons, to heal every kind of disease, every kind of sickness, have authority over unclean spirits like all the other disciples. Judas, a lost man. On another occasion, Jesus made a statement that indicated that there were unsaved Jewish exorcists, men who were casting out demons. Let me show you this, Matthew chapter 12, just a few chapters later, Matthew 12, verse 27. Now, this is the story, the confrontation of Christ and the Pharisees who said, you are casting, they said to Christ, you are casting out demons by Beelzebub, Lord of the flies, Lord of the dung heap. In other words, they said that you are demonic yourself. What was Christ's response to them? Amongst other things, he said in verse 27, if I by Beelzebub cast out demons, by whom do your sons cast them out? For this reason, they will be your judges. By whom do your Jewish sons, by whom do your sons cast them out? So there were exorcists and exorcism going on. From unbelievers. And in Acts 19, we, you don't need to turn there, but we meet some of these Jewish exorcists called the seven sons of Sceva. The apostle Paul meets them. Also, I remind you that in the Bible, we're told that in the future, during the seven-year tribulation period, there will be false messiahs and false prophets who Jesus said in Matthew 24, 24 will show great signs and wonders. There'll be a rise in false prophets Messiahs arise in false prophets, and they'll show great signs, they'll show great wonders to try to deceive people. And remember, the primary false Messiah will be the one world ruler, known as the beast or the Antichrist, who Paul revealed in 2 Thessalonians that his coming is in accord with the activity of Satan, with all power and signs and false wonders. So I think it's rather obvious from these examples, that unbelievers are capable of performing miraculous wonders. Now, how could that be? Listen, it's not, it's not that hard. It's because God at times allows Satan to empower them as he permits the devil at times to exert influence upon the physical world. It's no different than, than God allowing Satan to work in Job's life. Only in this case, there are some supernatural, miraculous things that he allows. And I think it's important for all of us to understand that, especially those of you who are new in the faith and maybe have not heard this, but be very careful that you don't mistake miracles for legitimacy. Just because somebody is capable of doing the miraculous doesn't mean that that individual is legitimate, that he's a a real man of God, that he's even saved. Be careful about all the claims amongst leaders in the charismatic movements of the many miracles that they've performed. No doubt No doubt some of these miracles uh, are phony and are con jobs to make money and to try to give themselves legitimacy in the eyes of people. But this doesn't mean, it doesn't mean that, that all of those miracles aren't legitimate. They may very well be, but inspired by Satan, not by God. And these men are not necessarily legitimate men of God. Remember, Jesus will turn away on that day of judgment many who were involved in miraculous activities. So be very wise about that. It's very important for us not to be mesmerized by the supernatural and sensational. We can all be caught up in signs and wonders. And even the Lord's own disciples, there was a time in their lives when they got their their eyes off of the real issues and were really caught up in this. Let me show you this. Luke chapter 10. This is the temptation we all face. And this is what's happened to many. They're, they're so absorbed in signs and wonders that that becomes everything. Notice this, Luke chapter 10, beginning at verse 17. The 70, now it's expanded. It's beyond the 12. There are 70 disciples. The 70 returned with joy. They returned to the Lord who had sent them out, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Now, listen, listen to that. They're thrilled with that. They've gone out and they've never done anything like this before. Even the demons are subject to us in your name. And he said to them, I was watching Satan fall from heaven like lightning. Behold, I have given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing will injure you. Nevertheless, and this is a rebuke to them, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are recorded in Heaven, what a rebuke to them These men were thrilled over the over the ability that he had given them to do these miracles, and as a result, they were quite frankly filled with pride. Look at us, we say a word, and demons flee. But Jesus put the matter in perspective. He said, the thing that really should get you excited is not the sensational but the fact that you 're going to go to heaven the fact that you 're going to go to heaven folks that 's precisely what the Lord is saying in the in the sermon on the mount. that There are some people who will say that they preach, they cast out demons, they did miracles, and they're still excluded from the kingdom because those things are not that important. What's the problem with these folks? The problem is that these folks were so caught up in the spectacular and the, and the sensational, they looked upon Jesus not as a savior from sin, but as a wonder worker, as a healer. Listen, that is what's going on, not only in our country, but around the world where people who are caught up in the charismatic movement tend to be so focused on the physical that they neglect the spiritual. The issue is not their sin. The issue is healing. The issue is the the flesh. They've so focused on the physical, they fail to be concerned about their sin and being morally transformed by Christ. That's a foreign message. You don't hear them preaching that. What you do hear them preaching about is healing and money and and living a better life here, better meaning financially better. Never have a moral transformation by Christ. And that's exactly what Jesus goes on to reveal about them as he gives a third characteristic of lost but religious individuals. They make an empty profession of faith in him. They rely upon their performance of religious works. And the third characteristic of these lost but religious folks is that they practice lawlessness. Verse 23 And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. After listening to these people address him as Lord, and after hearing about the religious works and wonders that they tried to impress him with, Jesus will declare to them the most horrifying words a human being can ever hear. I never knew you. Depart from me. I never knew you. Depart from me. On the Day of Judgment, there will be many outstanding religious people who will hear those terrifying words. Reputable church people who thought they were Christians all along, but they weren't. And you know what? It never crossed their minds that they might not be saved. Never dawned on them because, after all, they believed in Jesus and they did a lot of things in his name. And maybe, maybe they didn't cast out demons. Maybe they didn't do miracles. But perhaps they taught a Sunday school class. Perhaps they were a leader in the church, an elder, a deacon, even a staff position. Perhaps they served in some church committee, and they sure thought that they were Christians. And so did everybody else except the one to whom it really matters, the only one that it really matters, and that's Christ himself. He wasn't fooled by this empty profession of faith or their religious works. And so he'll tell them he never knew knew them. Now, what does that mean? Well, it can't mean they didn't know about them. Obviously, Christ knows everything and he knows everyone. In the Bible, the words to know was a very distinct Hebrew way of expressing a relationship of intimacy. For example, when the Old Testament refers to a husband being physically intimate with his wife, it often does with the words, he knew her, as in Adam knew his wife. It means that they were physically intimate. So in Bible terminology, to know someone means you have a personal relationship with them. And that's the reason that Jesus will will turn these people away from entering his kingdom. In spite of their correct belief in his deity and their impressive record of deeds done in his name, he says, I never had a personal relationship with you. We were strangers. You didn't know me. I didn't know you. They may have respected him. But they never bowed in repentance and submission to his lordship. And the proof of this was that their lifestyle was characterized by sinfulness, not obedience. That's why Jesus referred to them as those who practice lawlessness. Now, the key word here is practice lawlessness. Doesn't mean that they were unlawful just a little bit. It means their whole lives. To practice lawlessness refers to an uninterrupted, continuous pattern of habitual disobedience to the word of God. In other words, these folks demonstrated total disobedience without any repentance by their continuous lack of submission to God's laws. And specifically, what laws is he referring to? Well, keep in mind the context, the moral laws that Christ has just finished explaining in the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount simply opens up to us the Old Testament moral laws, what God is really concerned about. Laws about anger, not just murder, but anger, hatred. Not just adultery, but refraining from sexual fantasies. Not just saying you're honest, taking an oath, but inward, integrity. Not, not simply loving those who you get along well with, but loving those who hate you. Forgiving others. Not trying to impress people with religious observances. See, these are the righteous laws and standards of, of his kingdom that believers strive to live by. And when they don't, and there's plenty of times that we don't, we repent. But unbelievers, and, and this is the point, unbelievers never repent. There's no repentance. They have no regard for what God has to say about the holy standards of righteousness. They may try to they may try to appear upright and religious on the outside, but inwardly they are continuously disobedient. Get them alone and they have no concern to try to impress anybody and and their true colors come out. They don't care about the word, they don't care about inward righteousness, they don't care about pleasing God, they are in trouble by the fact that they're constantly angry, that they constantly are unforgiving towards others, that doesn't bother them. It doesn't bother them that they have continuous inner sexual fantasies, doesn't bother them, they don't repent over that, or that they do things only to impress others. It never dawns on them that this is wrong. This is their way of life. And it doesn't bother them that they are proud and arrogant and self-centered and without any genuine mercy and concern for other people. That's just the way of life. Doesn't bother them. They're not going to do anything about it. See, that was precisely our Lord's point in giving the entire Sermon on the Mount. If you look back at chapter 5, verse 20, which I believe is the key verse in the Sermon on the Mount, you'll, you'll see what this is all about. Jesus said, for I say to you, meaning you who claim to follow me, that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, he said, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. The Pharisees and the scribes, they look good on the outside. There were Bible believers who were upright, religious, respectable, performing many religious works, but folks, they were lost men. Self-righteous individuals who were oblivious to their own inward attitudes and sinful motives and wickedness of their heart. So they never repented of their sin. That wasn't even a consideration. They just went through the outward religious motions. But they never trusted Messiah to save them. They didn't think they needed an atonement. They didn't think they needed a sacrifice. And so they, they evidenced that self-righteous unbelief by continual lawlessness in their hearts. So if that's true, true of you then you are in grave danger of being turned away from Christ and by Christ on the day of judgment. You need to make sure that the Savior knows you, that you know Him, that there's a an inward reality of Christ in you. It isn't just outward. It isn't just that you go to church on Sunday mornings and that, that seems to make your conscience feel better. 24-7, there needs to be a desire to please Him. Charles Spurgeon, that great prince of preachers thought it was very likely that on the day of judgment, the people will have words to say, he thought, not only to the Lord, but also to others. After being told by Christ that he never knew them, Spurgeon imagined someone turning around on that day and saying to some Christians who used to sit in the same pew, you knew me. Yes, they'll reply, we knew you, but that's of no avail, for the master did not know you. Then Spurgeon said, I can picture some of you crying out to your minister, Pastor, did not you know us? Surely you recollect what we used to do. Spurgeon asked, What can he reply? Ah, uh, yes, sorrowfully do I own that I know you, but I cannot help you. It is only Christ knowing you that can be of any avail to you now. Don't be deceived. Don't let others deceive you. Don't be deceived yourself. If you really know him, You will evidence that by being obedient to his word. If not, then you need to repent, fall upon him for his mercy and forgiveness through his atoning work on the cross. Let's bow for prayer. These are sobering words, and it ought to put a holy fear into your heart. Each of us ought to cry out and say, Lord, examine my heart. Is this this true of me? Do I really know you or am I or have I been deceived Paul said to the Corinthians and I say to you examine yourselves whether you be in the faith and the examination is simply this is Christ in you is Christ in you do you see a glimpse of him in you in attitudes in desires in a heart to obey certainly none of us have arrived. We see our sin more and and more. But as I said, a true believer, he falls. But he confesses, he gets up, he seeks God's forgiveness, and he moves on. And when he falls again, he does the same thing, but he does move on. He presses forward. If you're a true believer, that will be true in your life. If you're not, then you don't really care about God's standards. But just don't be deceived by it. Call upon the Lord now. Call upon him, fall upon his mercy and grace to be saved. Don't let your pride, because others have always thought you were Christians. Don't let your pride stand in the way. It's too important. Father, thank you for these very blunt words that the Lord Jesus gave. Lord, they they are sharp. And they deal with us. Thank you for being so concerned about our souls. And Lord, we do live in a day and age where it's very easy to pose as a true Christian and not be one. I I pray that your words will fall upon hearts, minds that truly need salvation and will uh, be convicted of their sin and their need to turn to you for salvation. Lord, for those in our congregation who may be struggling even with the issue of assurance, but they really know you, I pray that this will have helped that they won't unnecessarily doubt and question their salvation if they really know you. I pray that the very mark of obedience in their lives and desire to obey will bring great assurance. We pray all this, Lord, in Jesus' name.
2: Amen. Amen. Thank you, Pastor Steve. We have concluded our series of lessons about false teachers, but we are far from finished with the Sermon on the Mount. We're glad to have had you with us today for Verse by Verse. Pastor Steve Kreloff, the teaching pastor at Lakeside Community Chapel in Clearwater, Florida, is our instructor in these daily Bible lessons, and they are produced by Verse by Verse Ministries. If you would like to learn more about us, you can listen online to today's or previous classes, or you could even find out how you can help keep these classes on the air. Stop by our website, versebyverseradio.org. Today's class was the conclusion of a three-part message. If you would like to hear the entire message, please call us at 727-441-1714. Leave your name and a number, and we'll call you back during weekday office hours so that you can order a CD or a cassette. Our number again is 727-441-1714. This is Peter Silseth inviting you to join us for the next Verse by Verse.
0: You've been listening to Verse by Verse, sponsored by Verse by Verse Ministries. This program was pre-recorded. To learn more, including how to donate to this ministry, visit versebyverseradio.org. That's Verse by... W262CP...